Elliot, I've got some terrible, terrible news. Um, What's the news? Grunkle broke out of the retirement home from the the uh, mental ward and is on the oh, loose. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Grunkle's on the loose. We better, we better, you know, put a put a lasso on that rascally little rapscallion, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I think he he watched a a bit too many Michael Heineke films and is now on a rampage. Yeah. Uh oh. Uh oh. Yeah. Just totally obliterating everyone around him yeah that sounds like my grunkle yeah free and on the loose oh my god there he is i see him he's hurling towards me you know it's been a while since the last grunkle sighting but yeah here we are it's me grunkle it's been me the whole time uh we took the month of july off we were both very busy weren't we yeah busy busy bodies being busy what were you busy with huh I was busy making sweet, sweet love to Animal Collective, my brother. Um, no, uh, among the, the, the things I was doing in July, uh, I got to go visit a close friend of mine in Colorado, and we caught two Animal Collective shows, which makes me at three for this tour at the moment. Damn. Um, potentially a fourth incoming as well. Time will tell. How much variation in set list there? um pretty good they've been playing like around like i don't know it's like 30 ish different songs on the tour and on those three shows i only heard like one or two songs all three times there's only one song i didn't hear and um only a couple doubles too even you know so yeah oh that's nice Mm -hmm. makes it all the more worthwhile to see that three times absolutely and they're on a if i if i catch them again they're on a new leg of the tour and typically they'll do like minor iterations to the set list every leg so we'll see if there's any new stuff what about you grunkle what have you been doing for july uh a friend of mine that lives over across the pond in some european country who knows which one it's belgium but he came and visited and we went upstate and had a little cabin time with friends. And I brought a little TV and a Blu-ray player so I could get my fix, man, because I was nice. ooh, I was, I was scratching my hives, man, because I need to watch movies, right? You know how it is. Yeah, you know how it is with your uncle. Out. I mean, come on. I just broke out of a retirement home, for crying out loud, because they weren't mm-hmm. letting me get my stories. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, then, and so and then I'm at the happened? cabin, right? And I brought a TV. And I brought my Blu-ray player, but... okay. The TV and the Blu-ray player were not compatible. No! It wouldn't have mattered, any- it wouldn't have mattered no! anyway because I forgot the remote to the Blu-ray player and there's no c- commands on the player itself. You're just punting out here, aren't you, Grunkle? Literally, maybe the most tragic thing in the world right now, including everything in the news cycle, is I had to go a freaking week without getting my goddamn stories. Sheesh, brother, sheesh. Yeah, it was rough out there, man. No, it was great. It was the best. And it was actually very nice to detach from the movie watching for a while because as much as I really do try and always try try and always get my fix, it's it's nice to sort of step away from even things we love the most sometimes to either yeah, absolutely. gain, gain perspective that's outside yeah. of what we are normally gaining or just uh refresh because i i will certainly grunt to that but 
nonetheless, here we are back in our mainline fix, getting it straight to the veins, right yeah, to your IV podcast drip. pores, and right to our eager eyeballs. We are watching movies. And this week, as is now custom, we watched three movies. Yeah, we watched three movies. Yes. Oh well, 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 what three movies did we watch? Could you, uh, could you regale us? We watched Senso. We watched Hardcore, and we watched The Marriage of Maria Braun. All right, and that's it. We'll see you guys next week. Yeah, that's a wrap, everybody. Uh, hey, great, great episode there, nephew. I really liked the mm-hmm. part where you screamed after I mentioned my terrible tragedy. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's, it's good to see you for, for August movie month. I'll, I guess I'll see you in mm-hmm. September. Yep, see you in September. All right. Proper tea, play us out. Cool. Psych! <laughs> you should see the dumb look on your face, listener, because <laughs> we got you. <laughs> we got you, didn't we? Oh my God, you look so dumb right now. Oh no, of course we're talking about the movies too. We didn't just watch them and then tell you that we watched them. What what kind of tease would that be? Um you ready to to get into it? No. All right. I'm never ready. But Fine, I'm in I'll a perpetual in state of unreadiness. Yeah, which sure you in are. itself is a kind of readiness. Chronic unpreparedness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm I think we can all relate to that. But no, no, enough of, enough with the theatrics. Um, the first film that we watched is the film Senso, a 1954 Italian film by Lucino Visconti. It's one of his sort of grand melodramatic historical epics in which uh, in the buildup to the Italian war for independence, which lasted a long time and which he also explores in his film The Leopard, which we watched for movie months before we started doing the podcast. Um, The film follows a woman, Olivia was her name, I believe. Mm -hmm. Sure. And Livia, just Livia. Livia. Yeah. Yeah. Livia is an Italian aristocratic woman in Italy. Her husband is a uptight um, pro-Austrian aristocrat. And her cousin is a young freedom fighter who eventually fights with Garibaldi and Manzini for the fight for independence against um, the Austrians and pro-Austrian Italians, because this was a time in which Austria-Hungary had a large stake of Italy and were owned a lot of land and were dictating um, the laws of that land. And people were fed up with it. And of course, at the time, Italy was a bunch of city-states and well we could get all into that but we don't have to because the movie did a lot of that for us or maybe not so much but Lydia I I think I was gonna say I think a lot like the leopard um, a dramaturgy packet would have been helpful for this movie because it is so ingrained in Italian history which isn't necessarily as well known because it is certainly looking at more I don't I don't want to say niche necessarily because there's still formative to the Italian government and, uh, you know, the unification of city-states that was happening all across Europe at that time. But, yeah, I feel like a lot of the relationships in the film mirror the 
relationships between these countries at odds. And oh yeah. It would, yeah, for it sure. would provide a fuller experience. I think if, you know, the film, you know, had some like liner notes or something, but uh, <laughs> right. that's not the medium we're dealing with. No. So, you know, but yeah, yeah much like, gonna... um, much like another movie we watched this week, a lot of this film uses these sort of grand melodramatic romances as analog for international diplomatic relations and uh, the national identities that get wrapped up together and these romantic identities that get wrapped up together. Because in this movie, Olivia, this Italian woman, uh, becomes smitten by, with, by, becomes smitten with, by, I don't know. Um, Smitten upon? Smitten upon. She smites down. An Austrian lieutenant named Franz, uh, who is a, um, sends away down. her cousin to prison, and she willfully ignores it because she is so in love with him, and he winds up just... It's kind of a turn-on, ...using and exploiting her for her money. And, yeah, it just becomes this um, sort of spiral for Olivia and into this more and more sort of willful ignorance of what Austria or what Franz is doing to her and what Austria was doing to Italy. And yeah, I, I, I was, I was, I like this movie a lot. Yeah. I think it's interesting that it really is a spiral and it really does take a, a long time for us to reach the center for a while. I was kind of rolling my eyes at this movie as it really did just feel like a kind of a, a run of the real run of the mill romance flick. Um, of the melodramas, you know, of that era, you know, similar to something like uh, The Earrings of Madame De, which is a film I like a lot, but I found this film, like, I don't know, not quite as engaging or interesting, and also, you know, being aware that I was um, not entirely informed on the subject matter, but but then, but then there is kind of that twist that it is an anti-romance in a sense the whole time that it is leading up to this grand betrayal, which is then met by uh, a next betrayal after Olivia then informs the the Prussian government. Right? Is it Prussian? No, no, not Prussian. Austrian Hungarian. Yeah. Um, yeah. When she informs the government that she did indeed, uh, you know, pay to have this man declared unfit for war, that he is. A coward and there is this kind of dramatic confrontation in his lavish apartment with uh with the woman that he had ordered for the evening you know confronting his wealthy mistress patron and i don't know it it, it was certainly over dramatic and i wasn't really i don't know expecting that twist necessarily um and so i think that if like my lens had been more geared toward that twist incoming the whole time uh I don't know, I would have been maybe more engaged because this was a bit of a snoozer for me while I was watching it. I was like, oh, no, they're still in Italy and everybody <laughs> hates who they're with. Oh, and Italy's so boring. It, it, honestly. But no, like, we love Italy. I, no, no, yeah. but like the leopard, for instance, is like getting like the beautiful, grandiose shots of Italy. Oh, you know, I, I got that in this. Maybe not so much yeah. landscape shots, but the interiors in this and like... All right, and like the, showing a lot of the architecture of Venice and stuff like that. Yeah, and a lot of the, a lot of the blocking in this was I found, quite nice. And like there, are these shots inside of bedrooms in which you know Livia is on this huge bed, and Franz is like behind this like thinly veiled curtain, and then there's a mirror between them, and 
a lot of it's, you know, a little on the nose. We've seen it a lot before, but it doesn't make it any less, uh, I don't know, beautiful eye candy sort of this period of looking at the production of like the Hollywood epic musicals and for sure sort of putting the grandiosity of of 20th 19th century European conflicts and politics and mixing it with the sort of melodrama of the romance and the like literature from that time and there's a lot of opera in the beginning of this film too and it's all just over the top in its, you know, something um, about fascism too. You can shoot oh, yeah, in yeah. there, you know. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought for you know a historical period romantic drama, it was fine. It wasn't great, you know. I feel like I've seen other films that um, are of the same genre that I would probably return to before I return right. to this, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. it was an enjoyable watch, as sleepy as it was for me sure. at times. Um, what I thought was really interesting about, um, you know, about historical films in general is that it's been like a lot, it's been the same amount of time from now to when mm-hmm. this movie was made, from when this movie was made to the time period it's portraying. Well, that's not and quite so, right, but... Yeah, it is. This movie was made about 70 years ago. The film was set in 1880, which was about 70 years from then. 1880, really? Is when the movie takes one? I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Pretty wow, sure. yeah, that's insane. So, <laughs> it, yeah, it's just it's just interesting that um, because there there's always you know as we discussed before, what's most interesting about these social historical dramas is what you're saying about the current time yeah. by examining a, a history past, um, right? And yeah, I, I think, like I said before, with the, without the dramaturgy packet, it's a little less immediate to us American viewers in 2022, the implications this was, you know, hinting towards regarding the politics yeah. of post-World War II Italy. And it's really interesting, something Visconti did was um, sort of every other film in from the late 40s into the... 50s and then even early 60s is he would sort of go from making a sort of more neo-realistic focusing on southern Italian peasants and farmers and how they're exploited and then he would make a historical epic about how you know the sort of wealthy can exploit each other and how nations can exploit one another and it's because he before this he had La Terra Trema and then he had this and then uh, Rocco and his brothers and then the leopards so it's like he kept switching between these different um, national discourses in Italy and focusing on um, the working class immediately in post-war Italy and the ruling class and their fall like the monarchy during the wars for independence and to sort of have these films strung together um, by placing them one after another in his filmography sort of creates this through line that gets to the core of a lot of the sort of social hierarchies and diplomatic hierarchies that exist and sort of almost uh, in a Foucaultian sense, like looking at how 
diverse um, exploitation and power structures are and how micro power structures can exist throughout any sort of lens that you look at on either the micro or the macro in a historical or social sense. And for him to sort of just keep going in between those things and it always sort of being poignant or beautiful, at least for me, I'm a big fan of Visconti. It's, it's a lot of fun, especially as a fan of history. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that um, having history as an entry point really helps to for one's enjoyment of his film because of how uh, interested in it he was himself yeah yeah cool dude i uh i highly recommend Rocco and his brothers it's very long but well worth it yeah, there's I a young alan delon i liked i liked leopard a good deal more than this one i feel like you feel the opposite way yeah and i engage with senso more than the leopard the leopard sort of has more of that lavish eye candy and i do like how it's about sort of the fall of the aristocracy from their perspective and that's another thing that i think he does well is like when he decides to make films about the ruling class he can sort of you can sort of be sympathetic for individual characters but in a larger picture he's usually sort of condemning their exploits Mm. um which makes for good watching and and good uh, thinking for me. Good podcasting. Yeah, there you go. A. A. Exactly. But yeah, Visconti, Senso. I love it. We love it. I don't know if you love it. You liked it, right? Yeah, I liked it enough. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It wasn't the the worst film you've subjected me to. <laughs> there, there is a lot of a lot of it that feels. Um, Maybe not tired, but we've seen a lot of movies like this that do a lot more of the grizzly, goozly, juicy goodness. Yeah, you know, very, you know, everything is just kind of riffing on Gone with the Wind to a certain extent when you're when you're dealing with these. um, Yeah, the historical epics, at least, you know, in terms of uh, visually, at least, I think. Yeah, those sort of grand sweeping sort of like the romanticization of the lens and the camera itself and like how the romanticization of like the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of juxtaposed with like the really intimate, like closed off romantic confrontations (laughs) between almost two people who won't quite admit they're in love. Right. Almost erotic, but never like explicit. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. 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 What else should yeah. we watch, huh? Hey. Well, next movie on this first episode of August Movie Month is Paul Schrader's Hardcore. Paul Schrader, who everyone here knows, of course, for directing the greatest movie of all time, Mishima. Oh, maybe not the greatest of all time, but one of them, one of my favorites. And, um, you know, when you find a filmmaker that really, uh, gets you going there's nothing like uh taking a taking a walk down the primrose path of their of their film canon and that is just what we did in watching hardcore his uh sophomore directorial adventure uh hardcore follows george c scott as jake van doren as his daughter leaves the idyllic and industrial 
Grand Rapids, Michigan. Uh, Shout out Grand Rapids. Church trip. Shout out Grand Rapids, Michigan, where uh, my my hashtag fam is posted up. If you rep will. the gr, repping the gr, repping the gr with the gf. Oh, the gf not being girlfriend. Gf stands for Gerald Ford, who is also grunkle friend. Grunkle friend. There we go. Grunkle fiend. <laughs> yes, but. And as we all know, the most insidious things come from Michigan. Um, here, uh, Jake's daughter, Caitlin, is on a church trip to California where all the Dutch reformists of the country meet together to worship Jesus, probably. But anyway, she goes missing from this retreat, and Jake puts, puts all of his energy and effort into finding his daughter, the, the only person really in his life. And this um, leads Jake to connect with uh, the private investigator, Andy Mast, who um, uncovers to Jake that his daughter is now featuring, uh, being featured in pornographic films. And this, uh, this then spirals our, our um, uh, 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 what is the word? Uh, Odyssean adventure, maybe, as uh, Jake thrust himself into the seedy underground of late 70s Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, mulling about sex shops and whorehouses looking for his estranged daughter. And um, as he gets more and more wrapped up in the, the exploits of these degenerates and hooligans and good-for-nothings, uh, even befriending a, uh, a certain sex worker to help locate his daughter. He, he finally does find his daughter, and uh, after a, a heated confrontation with many different sex-trafficking drug lord evil dudes, um, they have a, a confrontation where, where, he, where he admits that he could never really love her, her or show her how he loves her because he's just so deeply and midwesternly repressed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then they go back to Michigan. Rep the GR. They, re they reconcile. They, they, they the go GR. back. They rep the GR and they leave the evil, seedy, Paul Verhoeven esque. <laughs> yeah. Um, disgusting <laughs> mire that is california yeah you said it first i didn't say it you said it um well, why paul was roy schrader, schrader not in this movie i just have to ask that's paul, a good question paul schrader why wasn't was roy he, schrader not in this wasn't movie? he busy filming all that jazz isn't it i don't care what he was busy filming why was roy schrader not in this movie i could have even yeah. taken him well as, it's like, funny the, that you mentioned roy schrader because i was like paul schrader should have directed clue like, yes well i was thinking because a lot of i was thinking a lot of while, while watching this movie about just like how many sort of sex erotic thriller kind of movies there were in the 70s and early yeah 80s. And like how I, I, how many of them like made money off of sort of boundaries that like exploitation and sexploitation films had already pushed way further and then sort of like diluting them for like 
We're showing boobies on film. Yeah, it's just like, and that's the thing. Like, you don't even, you don't even get twenty-five cents. (laughs) Grunkle wants to see the good stuff. Spread your legs. Wow, hey, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) don't put me on the spot. No, I I agree. I agree entirely. Um, I think if somebody came to a studio executive with this idea today, it would be like an episode of Black Mirror or something um in this day and age you know like there was a clear divide of like the things you could show on television and the things that you could show in a movie theater with the proper restrictions or yada 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 what have you the dodging of the Hayes codes or you know just pushing the lines bit by bit um and i think this film you know makes an attempt at it but it isn't really that daring of an attempt it isn't really that that poignant of a film with yeah. that much to say really about anything that conservative people are conservative and there are poor people out there who have to sell their bodies and conservative people hate them for some reason and i, I don't know i think that um this, this film maybe attempts to shine some light on some stuff, but I think in terms of like, even like, in terms of like bringing humanity to these topics um, or giving, you know, like a, like a more, um, a more realistic depiction of, uh, you know, what the, of what people who are involved in this kind of industry, what kind of lifestyles they lead of just watching a film like Clue right. or like Streetwise or something, right. you know, that is actually, I don't know, has, has a little bit more of a perspective. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, a little more perspective. Whereas this was just like, we follow a know, morally outraged father the whole time. Yeah, exactly. And what happens? He's morally outraged. Yeah. Oh my God. And like slowly he is like, humanized by his ability to say the word penis with like (laughs) increasing comfortability but but honestly like it it really is uh yeah i don't know like maybe maybe it it, this film is more about is more about conservative people like learning to deal with that repression that's kind of been forced down their throats and like uh, right why it isn't that bad but then again at the same time like you're coupling that with uh I don't know. Uh, there's, there's really no agency for the daughter either because like very oh, she's hardly film, a character. Of course, yeah. of course it's going to be like, uh, Oh, he's going to find her and he's going to think that she's been kidnapped, but really she wanted to escape. Right. And then they're going to have some confrontation and man, oh man, I feel like you couldn't find um, a woman who was a good actress and would also like be in a role like this that is depicting them as you know such an object uh and a sexual object throughout the majority of the film like so like i don't know she's really terrible in the one scene she has like it, and it's really right at the end of the movie and like it's kind of a pretty sweet ending sequence too and then it all just kind of like is tanked by these like last <laughs> three minutes right and just this horribly cringy exchange Whereas like George C. Scott really does carry this film for a lot of it. Yeah. But um, like you said, he really is playing the one note of morally outraged father yeah. looking for his daughter. Liam Neeson asked, this movie is the reason we have Taken. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, this walk so Taken could fucking sprint the whole marathon. This, 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 walked, this walk so Taken could like 
invent the jet into the sky and fly like a Boeing 737. I've never actually seen Taken. Me neither, actually. Maybe that's movie month idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, Put him. Put Liam Neeson right next to Zack Snyder (laughs) and Roy Scheider. Rest in peace. No, Roy. Don't put Roy with those. No, you're right. You're right. Um, Podcast over. And but you do you do in this movie get a little bit of um, perspective and maybe a tiny bit of authenticity he eventually becomes like a buddy cop with a with a peep show model uh nikki mm-hmm. and she i mean that relationship's kind of fun and and sweet and she helps him say penis but in the end doesn't she really does give you much to chew on no yeah i, I think this is like my sixth schrader yeah well, i'm certainly maybe, maybe less, less deep in the the Schradester. Um, I've only, I think the only ones I've seen that you haven't are Autofocus and Light Sleeper. Yeah, yeah, I think um, so. But out of them, I would say this is probably my least favorite. Yeah, it's it's, it's probably my least favorite Schrader too. Not to say I completely disliked it. I think yeah, it's, it's interesting uh, how Schrader in a lot of his films sort of explores the relationships between like work and faith and the human body and how work affects us both sort of mentally and physically and how it affects those around us and how this George C. Scott morally outraged repping the GR father sort of like his relationship to his daughter's work and the tie to his daughter's body and you sort of get that in Mishima, you sort of get that in First Reformed, you sort of get that in Blue Collar. And like this, the, these notions of, of how work defines a person and how it's tied up with class often and how it's tied up with faith often and how like the ideas that, the idea that work can sort of either reinforce or betray somebody's faith or somebody's beliefs or betray somebody's body or um yeah i don't know and and the workers relationship with the work and the people that that know the worker and their relationship with that person's work and in this it's yeah it's a a father that is reckoning with the idea that he cannot control his daughter and eventually cannot even really control himself because he starts off in this movie as you know we 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 open up with a a country tune and a classic american christmas and it's all everything is perfect it's the american dream you know and then it's sort of he eventually is you know hosting fake porn casting sessions with a false mustache hashtag rep in the stash hashtag grunkle swag and you know he's he's become some violent shell of his former self which you know is sort of you could certainly criticize the fact that the film has him uh i don't know well no i mean it is it is his outrage over what his daughter's doing makes him a worse person which is kind of a cool concept yeah Um, yeah but then it's also like uh i don't know like his need to control somebody else is right but it becomes criticized a bit because it's like, if this is what your need to control somebody leads to, then it's totally unhealthy. And the act itself is violent and can only lead to violence. Like the idea of trying to control what somebody does, making you a worse person is a good moral tale, I would say. Well, I think something we haven't talked about is that 
Paul Schrader is just an edgy dude. You know what I mean? And like sometimes, man, he's just going to like show life how it is. And like, <laughs> if you're not cool to see it, man, then just like look away. Yeah. There's certainly a bit of that. Yeah, I think, I think he does have a bit of that. Well, I think it's a, a present across his canon, too, you know, yeah. but sometimes it, it really hits, you know what I mean? Right. Something like Taxi Driver or Mishima, you know, he really is uh, picking at the underbelly to, I don't know, to, to greater effect. And other times you're just like, okay, man, like you're, you just kind of like, I don't know, like you can never really judge someone from that, um, you can never really judge someone making something too much, but there's always, to me, in my opinion, like a certain level of privilege that you have as a filmmaker, just being able to make a film, like a, unless you're literally doing like guerrilla filmmaking, like to make a Hollywood film, you know, you have to have a certain level of privilege. And when you're depicting, you know, people of lower status in a really negative light for the most part, just to, be hardcore then it's like uh is the damage you're doing worth the message you're trying to convey yeah 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 i totally get that and i've i've certainly felt that way about a lot of sort of maybe like attempting to be near neo-realistic films that fail to um sort of actually actually sympathize or meet or humanize yeah which is yeah yeah sort of what you were talking about earlier, like something like Streetwise um, or even Clute, which uh, is not perfect, certainly, as we talked about, but maybe it does a better job than this. Yeah, yeah, maybe. But, uh, you know, I don't know. This is the... He's, he's really interesting with his releases. He has a lot of films that are, like, panned and other films that yeah. are, like, like, easily regarded by film scholars and historians everywhere like amongst the best films ever made first reformed is one of my favorite movies of the 2000s so far no but like just think about how like like how many top 100 lifts like taxi driver and raging oh yeah oh yeah and right he's a big part of that too yeah i mean even like first reformed and mishima are like cracking those lists amongst those who know yeah i'm agreeing with you i yeah it's uh he's an interesting one i'm i i uh I'm with him most of the time. I'm certainly, this is the first sort of, this is probably the first one I've seen that I wasn't like, uh, wow, wowed by. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I I would say that I wasn't particularly wowed by Light Sleeper or Autofocus either, Um, but still really solid films. And this this was still pretty solid, but um, yeah, not going to be... I don't know if it's necessarily a rewatch for me just because I think yeah. he, he, he's still like learning the ropes here. And I think that like, there's a lot of moments in the film that he doesn't really make the most out of, um, at least visually. I think the film is a little stale. Yeah. I, I was thinking that as well. Um, there's some Especially soundtrack choices. Between, oh yeah. I thought it was like Wendy Carlos for a second or something. There mm-hmm. was some, really funky uh electronic stuff going yeah it was awesome some but, crazy um, guitar riffs that were yeah. all the admittedly mixed a bit too high and i had to yes, <laughs> turn yes, my definitely. tv down a couple of times definitely too loud um 
But uh, but this like compared to or sandwiched in between like Visconti and Fassbender, who are just like making the most out of every single <laughs> shot right. in terms of like the framing and how it's you know like like what what we're looking at or like just watching characters move through space. You know, like how are you going to shoot a character walking up the stairs or right. something? It just seemed like Schrader is is not making very interesting choices when he's capturing moments like that. It's almost a little clinical of as he is still kind of clinical is a, yeah, a great word. The for art it. of directing. Yeah, clinical it hits the nail on the head. Stale. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I agree. But um, Obladi Oblada, this podcast. Life goes, goes on. on. Bra. Life goes on. Don't come after me, Paul McCartney. You actually stole those lyrics from somebody else, so uh, screw you. I yeah, can steal guy, him. Paul McCartney doesn't even have a barrow at the marketplace. Exactly. What a chump. What a chump. In um one uh, a final thing I want to say about uh hardcore is that there's a character with a porn alias Jism Jim and I thought that was pretty awesome so just mm. throwing that out there yeah mm-hmm. and there's some there this film not without its humor uh, yeah some... it's funny it's funny to watch a a sixty year old white man struggle to say the word penis. You know, like that. Oh, that's not what I'm. I mean, well, yeah, that's dick not that humor. Funny, but dick sure. humor never fails. Right. <laughs> Paul Schrader started internet dick humor. You heard it here first. Okay, the internet did not adopt dick humor as if it's some fucking novel concept. Fucking cavemen were making dicks as often as they were making arrowheads. Like no, Paul Schrader invented penis humor in this movie. Is what I'm saying. Mm, okay. No, yeah, I'm just playing. Come on now. Repping the GR. You know how it is. Mm, repping the GR. The GR. Hey. GR. GRE? I'm repping the GRE. Oh Sorry, God. I don't. This, this is bad. This is stick. This is just this, hack. This, this podcast is getting. This is uh, just hack shit. It's getting off kilter. Yeah, off yeah. The rails. Well, hopefully, Why don't you uh, introduce our next film? Yeah, the next the and last, last film. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next and last film. Great pairing for me with Senso is The Marriage of Maria Braun by friend of the show, longtime guest and lovely man, uh, rest in peace legend, Reiner Werner Fassbender. Um, our second 1979 film of the week, hey, the first one being that's hardcore. That's your year, right? That's the yeah, you know, year. I was discussing this with a friend recently. I've seen enough films since I used to make that 79 claim that I can't really make that claim anymore. Um, Just you've seen enough duds from 79? No, no, I've seen, like, other years have filled out more. and so. I'm oh, like, oh. Like, so wait, what's the new year then? There is no new year. Then Now it's, like, completely, like, how could I ever even attempt to pick a goaded film year? Although I mean, all that jazz, Stalker and Apocalypse Now, and like this and Legend of the Mountain, all in one year, is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alien and Kramer versus Kramer and being there, yeah. I mean, seventy nine is still pretty fantastic. Oh, and and uh, Camera Buff, maybe seventy nine is still goaded. I don't know. Um, How could yeah. it not be goaded? I don't. Yeah, goaded in the sauce, whatever. Poggers, whatever, 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 whatever. Shh. 
stop talking and talk about the movie, Grunkle. Oh, yeah, thanks. Um, but yeah, Marriage of Maria Braun, uh, 1979 film for Fassbender. It was just Michael Ballhouse's birthday yesterday, who was the uh, DP for this film and was a frequent um, Fassbender collaborator. So that's fun. Uh, but this is a film about Maria Braun and her many relationships. Um, one of those is with an American named Bill. The other is with her ex, um, a German uh, Wehrmacht soldier named, what was it? Herman, I believe. Herman Braun. Mm-hmm. Herman. And then is it... Uh, Who's then the a third man, the the Frenchman, right? Um, what was his name? Do you Carl. Remember? Carl. Yeah. Carl. Mm-hmm. And it's very much like Senso. It is about sort of this woman and her relationships with these men from these different countries as a post-war Germany was struggling with identity issues and this idea of Nazism always coming back up and sort of always muddying things. Are you familiar with the concept of the Sonderweg by any chance? I thought you were about to ask me if I was familiar with Nazis, and I was going to say, yes, I am familiar with Nazis. But I am not familiar with the, the Sonderbag, as you call it. Sonderweg. Yeah, it's a yeah. historiographical. The yeah. yeah, the yeah, Sonderbag. No, the Sonderweg is a is a historiographical term that references the idea that the evolution of German social structures and culture were sort of unique in a way that could only have ever led to Nazism and so, um, Fassbender maybe not necessarily fully reinforces that notion here, but um, certainly plays with it as he almost so like wait, Visconti. The, the, the yeah. notion is that 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 Germany was always destined towards Nazism. Yeah, and that the sort of like Prussian military culture. Uh, could have only have ended in Nazism. And it was like mm. developed uniquely from um, the other countries around it. And Fassbender sort of plays with that here, both in Maria Braun's relationship with these different men from these different countries, but also the film starts with a portrait of Adolf Hitler. And after the movie ends, um, the portraits of all the Western German leaders uh, preceding Hitler up until um, the film was made are played Oh, that's out. who those dudes were. I meant to yeah. look that up. So it's like this, this idea that Germany is sort of in, evolved and can now, in a post-Nazi Germany, only ever be looked at through the lens that it ended in Nazism and sort of the continuation of sort of undercurrents of fascism that continued in Germany throughout. And Maria Braun is this woman who, even though has this very tender relationship with this American man named Bill, winds up um, killing him when her ex-Nazi boyfriend shows up. And it sort of always comes back to Herman. And 
he sort of is this presence that I don't know, like ruins these relationships that she forms throughout the film. And well, she ruins them herself too, with her relationship to Herman and German's relationship with Nazism and uh, classic Fassbender, beautiful melodrama of sort of exploring uh, just uh, the German uh, subconscious a bit. Yeah, I would I would call this like a quasi epic almost, you know what yeah. I mean? It's not quite long enough or broad enough to um, to cover all these different ideas, but it is yeah, very grandiose and sweeping in, uh, in its depiction of the world. And um, yeah, I, I also think that there's like, there's like a certain Fassbender verse, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. all of his films in my mind exist like within the same canon. And he uses yeah. so many of the same actors over and over again. Yeah. And they're all playing like similar roles. And there will like often be just like little moments that are picked up here and there, whether it's like Ali showing up in Fox and his friends for that right. one moment or like um, the, like her husband is the guy in world on a wire yep. who is like trying to figure out reality. And Herman is, is this character who's like drifting in and out of Maria's life. And, and the whole film, the, the film is named after their relationship, which is barely even explored amidst all these other relationships. Um, and yeah, he's always, you know, dealing with his Nazi themes and his themes of sexuality and desire and interpersonal connectivity. And I don't know, it's also dense too. You know what I mean? I feel like I can never quite grok the metaphor he's going for, at least in this one, especially the metaphor felt very deep and interlocked in all these different relationships and I was like, okay, so which one of these is an allegory for Hitler again? Right, it's, yeah, but yeah. It's, but it's never quite that simple, you know what I mean? And yeah. so, I don't know. His his films are always an interesting challenge. Um, and, um, yeah, this one was certainly his mo- the one of the more tame films in his game. Yeah. In terms of, like, like, I feel like often when we talk about Fassbender, we're, like, d- talking about, like, to what lengths he will go to depict like human immorality. Whereas like this, yeah, like punishing his characters too. Whereas like this doesn't really, it has a bit of hubris here and there, but it doesn't really have um, uh, such such intense condemnations of people's fate. Right. And it's sort of bookended by these like two humorous sections involving explosions. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, these two explosions. The the first one being um, an explosion during the war in Germany when Herman and Marie are being married. And despite there being explosions around and bullets flying, they're still signing the marriage papers on the rubble. And it's all very funny. And then the end of it ends in a sort of almost like a uh, punchline of um, the yeah. World Cup announcement in the background and the, the uh, gas stove being left on and a right. match well, being a da- lit. The yeah. death by gas is especially interesting. Right. Yeah. You know? um, the the credits like overlapping the ending as if to almost like hurry things along that after this explosion none of it else really really matters that much almost. Right. And just yeah. like tying this idea of German history with that of war and 
sort of death, at least 20th century German history. And yeah, as you were saying earlier, like there's probably a lot in this film that speaks to the universal, but I feel like with Fassbender, there's always something that spoke very personally to him specifically that like an audience member could never right. fully. It's, it's especially like him as a German too. Like, I feel yeah. like that is such like a, like, like he is clearly not okay with the fact that he is a German. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, that he. He's got that grew up, that post not right, Exactly. It, like, cause he was like born like what, like early forties or something. Yeah. And so like, he really grew up in the thick of it. And in, you know, I don't know. And and it was interesting because I feel like this is the only film of his that's actually set during World War Two that we that I've seen at least. Uh yeah, I th- I think so for me as well. Yeah. Because like all of his others take place in like the sixties or seventies. Right. But it's like, only the beginning day. that's like actually during the war and then uh, the the rest of it's immediate post war, you know. Yeah, but it's like still like late forties. Sure. Know? early 50s a little more immediate than something like um the bitter tears where um they're like trapped into like a bougie little room that could be like any point between the 70s to the 80s you know yeah or when did he die did he make it to the 80s uh into the 80s i think yeah definitely definitely into the 80s yeah i don't know what year though 82 82 82 yeah Fassbender is definitely uh, the deep cut of choice over here at the Grunkle Pod. If you're if you're looking to get into some uh, some some bleak Poggers filmmaking, check oh, out just some of my favorites. Some yeah. of the bleakest, some of the Poggersest. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. And this podcast has helped me appreciate uh, his work even further. Yeah, totally as fucked up as he is. I feel like like we're also at the point where you and I have seen like maybe eight Fassbender movies and we're still right. like a, maybe a third of the way done. Um, we were just talking earlier today about uh, whether or not we should uh, we should buy the Decalogue or Berlin Alexander Platts next because those you kind of need the discs to watch. And Berlin like, Alexander well, we Platts being Fassbender sort of miniseries film and mm-hmm. uh, Decalogue being Kislovsky's sort of miniseries film. Right, right. And so we were kind of like leaning toward more towards the Decalogue because we still have so much more Fassbender to gorge ourselves on. Yeah, not too much Kislovsky though. No, not a ton. He also died tragically young. Yeah. But was not as uh, manic, compulsive, prolific, I suppose. Um... He, well, yeah, yeah, but uh, uh, certified grunkle stamped nephew stamped genius in his own right, of course. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, like one of the best as well, I'd say. I would also agree with you there. I had the privilege of seeing The Marriage of Maria Braun for free projected on 16 millimeter film at a library in New York. It was great. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't know that people cared about art in New York. Yeah, what would you know in the GR? That's true. I only know Dutch reformism. <laughs> yeah, uh, you're, you're going to come save me from the exploits and yeah. moral depravity of the streets of New York when I turn to a grunkle sex worker. Hell yeah. Damn, damn right you are. I'm using my tulip method. 
yeah. of chastity and, and a false I mustache. I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know. Yeah. Chastity, you said? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Or praying the the sin away, something right. like that, right? Christian guilt, German guilt, fastbenders guilt, nephews guilt, everyone's guilt. Grunkle's lack of guilt. Right, D- alarming lack of guilt. As he colonizes those weaker than him. <laughs> um, hey, now. I think Watch it's time to surprise uh, the listeners and my grunkle by revealing the films we're watching next week. And uh, I'm, I'm changing it up on my grunkle since it's, we had a, a last second difficulty procuring the, the rights. I don't know why. The rights. Like we Wait, have to so, buy the rights of every film we, have to buy the we rights talk about. We both totally have that money. No, no, no. Sometimes we make these lists in advance and films get out of availability. So I'm switching the films we're watching next week. And both you and the Grunkle are finding out right now that next week we will be watching Kess, a film by Ken Loach from 1969. Uh, Bill Duke's Deep Cover, which I once saw in a cabin during a winter ski trip vacation while my family went skiing, which I don't do. And so I watched some of the VHSs and I was maybe 12 years old when I watched this. Like, Wow, that is a good story. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. Is, I, I, I know you'd seen it before. One. I didn't know that was the story. Oh, yeah. that the context? Oh. Yeah, for sure. For Damn. Sure. And, wow, that's awesome. And then uh, we'll be rounding out the week with a 1968 film from Jan Yasavetes. Uh, oh, Yasis. Nice. We'll be watching Jan Yasavetes Yasis. John Yasavetes faces. There you go. There you go. That's that's your your uh, nephew to English translator right there. Yeah. Grunkle knows his. Grunkle's a polyglot. Yeah. What can we say? Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll, fi- we'll figure out the rest of the month, and you know we're we're gonna be excited to be bringing bringing the cast back to you each and every Wednesday. Hopefully yep, yep. some of y'all are chomping at the bit. You I, got, I, I, your, got your time to load up on our back cannon before yep. we plow forward. It's August, baby. It's August, baby, and it's time to sip on some proper tea. I'm thirsty. I'm so thirsty. Yo, where's, the, where's that fucking album at there, Bobo, huh? Where's that album, huh? I'm so thirsty. I'm so thirsty for some-